Uh, I was writing a bulletin article today and uh, got a call reminding me I was teaching a Bible class. So my bulletin article uh, turned into a Bible class. That's what we're going to discuss tonight. I don't know how much time I got to turn in a bulletin article. But uh, we talk about that later, won't we, honey? Let me know when I got to have it in. Maybe too late, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I thought we'd uh, think about a few things I've been thinking about this week. Uh, reputation and character. Uh, sometimes you might think they're the same, but they're really not. Reputation is what people think about you. It's what people think uh, you're like, uh, whether good or bad. Uh, that's our reputation, and that's something that uh, we have to live with, whether we appreciate it or not. And character, of course, is different. It's what God actually knows about us. Our reputations and our characters uh, usually uh, are not the same. Uh, what God thinks is uh, what matters, because that's what we actually are. And there's a difference. A lot of times what people think about you is not true. Uh, people, uh, uh, people may, they may not like your looks and then not like you because of it. Uh, sometimes people, uh, are really quite childish, don't think a whole lot, uh, but they'll sum up what you are in a relatively short period of time. You can't worry about that. Uh, what matters is what does God think because, uh, his, his estimation is, is what really counts when all things are said and done. Why the difference between the two? Well, I think it's obvious. A man, he goes by the outward appearance. What he sees, the Lord looks at the heart. He, he knows, uh, he not only knows what we do, he knows why we do what we do. Uh, if, if we're uh, a hypocrite as a Christian, he knows that. Uh, you know, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. Uh, we might fool one another, but you're not going to fool God. He knows. Uh, because, like I say, he can penetrate the heart. So character and reputation uh, are going to be different, but character is what we want to focus on. Uh, that brings me to the man Moses. Uh, Moses is an intriguing character. Uh, one of the most popular characters in the Bible, actually. Uh, he, he wrote uh, a large portion of the uh, Old Testament, the first five books, as a matter of fact, uh, somewhere probably around the year 1400 B.C. Uh, he wrote uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, a lot of information, a lot of information. You could take just the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis and study that for a year easily because it is packed so full of information. And uh, even today, uh, Genesis uh, uh, destroys uh, much of what's uh, falsely called science. Uh, and the, the thing that's so uh, ironic about it is when you stop and think about it, Genesis was written 3,500 years ago. And it's never been altered, never been modified. It's still the same thing as Moses wrote. It's never changed. And yet it still stands the test of time. There's no, there's no writing of men that, that are that accurate. It doesn't matter what people write. You want to talk about encyclopedia? 
They update encyclopedias all the time. There was one, the Cyclopedia Britannica. It was it had so many errors one time that they just they did a whole new version of it because the thing wasn't worth patching. There's too many errors in it. Uh, I'm, I'm not faulting people. The thing is that you know human beings make mistakes. Uh, sometimes we fill in gaps that aren't there, and when we do that, uh, sometimes we're wrong. And this is uh, this is one of the fascinating parts about. Uh, the Bible, even though Genesis was written 3,500 years ago and deals with the most sophisticated uh, uh, subjects known to man, it's never been revised, and it still stands the test of time. Uh, Moses was the author of the first five books, and uh, he's an amazing character. He wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. He was just a man, just like the rest of us. But uh, he, he had some traits uh, that I think are, are traits that we would probably want to emulate uh, and then hopefully have the outcome to our life that he did. Moses is mentioned in the Old Testament about 750 times. I think he's mentioned more than anybody else. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't fact checked that. Abraham's been mentioned a whole lot. I don't think Abraham was mentioned 750 times. That is a, an enormous amount of emphasis on Moses. Uh, this is what high esteem God helped this man in. He's mentioned more than 80 times in the New Testament, which is, you know, uh, fascinating in lieu of the fact that the New Testament's the New Covenant. It's dealing with different matter. And yet, yet Moses' name pops up uh, more than 80 times, even in the New Testament. Uh, he's described as a type of Christ at least twice, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and on. And then again in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and on, uh, he, uh, he typified Christ in a lot of ways. You see a lot of similarities between Moses and the Christ uh, in, as far as his being a, a, a lawgiver and a savior. Moses, uh, he wore both hats. When... Uh, when uh, Old Testament Israel crossed the Red Sea uh, and into the Sinai Peninsula, uh, they were baptized unto Moses. Well, today people are baptized unto Christ. Uh, the language is uh, very similar between the Christ and uh, Moses. Uh, he was, uh, in some sense of the word, a type of Christ. And, of course, Christ was the reality, the antitype of Moses. The section I want to look at is a little brief section, verses 24 through 27, found in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, accounting the reproach of the Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked unto the recompense of reward, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We, I picked out uh, six uh, qualities or characteristics about Moses that I think are worthy of our attention. Uh, there may be a few more, I don't know. I wasn't trying to write a book. I just, the ones that popped out and uh, uh, caught my attention very easily. And I'd like to go over these uh, six qualities with you. 
Uh, one is the fact that he refused. Two, he chose. Three, he discerned. Four, he, he had a vision. Number five, he had made a resolution. Number six, he endured. Uh, these are, are traits I think we would do well if we made these uh, our qualities also uh, because these are the qualities of a winner. We know that Moses was a winner. He was successful in life, not perfect, but he was successful. And uh, to follow successful men, I think, is, is wise on our part. So I want to think just for a few moments about these six uh, qualities, characteristics. If we get done early, we can uh, talk about something else. If you got any questions, uh, you can bring them up. Uh, just be thinking on them, because I don't think this will take too awful long. After all, it was just a bulletin article. Uh, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He took a stand. I remember back, uh, it might, had to have been in the 80s when uh, Nancy Reagan talked about the drug problem. She said that people ought to just say no. And uh, boy, she was ridiculed something awful. How silly that was to take the position that you should just say no. People can't just say no. Life's tough. Life's hard. Uh, we got peer pressure. Uh, we got pleasures we seek to find. Uh, there's so many. There's so many uh, things driving us to do this, that, and the other thing that we we just can't say no to such things. Uh, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, I was uh, kind of in the thick of the hippie movement there for a while, and uh, Drugs were everywhere. It was uh, kind of like the old West in Detroit back around 67, 8, and 9. And uh, just about anything went. Uh, everybody I knew used drugs. Uh, I did not. <laughs> I didn't inject myself with that stuff. Uh, I just said no. Uh, people called me uh, weird, uh, a coward, uh, not cool, you know, all the stuff kids call kids, uh, but I stuck to my no. And there was a real simple reason uh, why I did that. Actually, there were two. Number one, uh, I know daddy would have beat me half to death if I did. And number two, uh, I was afraid of that stuff. Uh, I'd, I'd been around it long enough to know that, uh, you know, that's something to be afraid of, and I was afraid. And uh, I just said, no. And you know what? I didn't take any. It was just that easy. I refused to take drugs. Today we say that well, people can't do that. Well, why not? Why can't a man act like a man once in a while? Why can't he just take a stand, take a position? Why did men have to be so wimpy and, and, and so pathetic all the time? Anybody, male or female, females probably have an easier time today than men do, but why would anybody not say no if they don't want to do something? I really don't understand that. You know, people, well, people will call you names. They're going to call you names anyway. What's the difference? If they call you a carrot or a dumbhead, either way, they're going to call you names. I don't, I don't understand uh, the big hoopla about you can't tell people to just say no. I've never read a book that didn't say that. You can't expect people to not 
do things that are bad for him. <laughs> Why not? You know, what, what's the problem? Why is this so hard? Joseph, you remember Joseph uh, became a slave to Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar uh, was a good master, a very good master. He took a liking to Joseph. Uh, he made him uh, lord over his house, so to speak. He was over everything in his house except for Potiphar. And you remember what happened. Uh, Potiphar's wife, Joseph, was a young man, uh, probably 18, 19 years old. Uh, more than likely, he was uh, uh, very healthy. He grew up uh, working for a living, and uh, or working for his daddy. And uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, we don't know what she was like. Well, I think we, we might know what she was like in some respects. Uh, she... Uh, wanted Joseph, and the record very simply says that Joseph refused. He just said no. Uh, he didn't, uh, he, he wouldn't do that. And there were two reasons he wouldn't do that. Number one, he wouldn't do that to Potiphar. Potiphar had been good to him, and he wasn't going to stab him in the back. Joseph was a, a good friend. He, he was a good friend. He wouldn't do that to a friend. And number two, uh, Joseph uh, knew the Lord wouldn't want him to act that way. So Joseph said no because he had a, a reason to say no. And because he had a reason, he did say no. The reason I think that Potiphar's wife may have been a little bit loose, she may have been known, at least by her husband, to be a little bit loose, was that even though she accused Joseph of trying to rape her, uh, Potiphar would, under normal circumstances, he would have had him put to death, but he didn't. He had him put into the prison. He had to do something. He had to save face some way or another, but instead of having Joseph put to death, he put him in prison, which makes me wonder, what did Potiphar know about Mrs. Potiphar? He may have not believed her, but he was in a dilemma uh, among his uh, social group, and uh, perhaps he put her, put Joseph in prison in order to get out of a difficulty. I don't know. But uh, I was always uh, amazed that he didn't have him put to death. A slave raping a master's wife? No, that doesn't fly. Secondly, our Lord, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, he just said no three times. Satan tried to get Jesus to sin, and Jesus said no, uh, because it is written. That's not what my Father wants me to do, and therefore I'm not going to do it. Uh, people can't just say no. And if we don't learn how to say no, and we don't want to do something, we're going to have a lot of problems, because we're going to find ourselves doing things that we really don't want to do. But the only reason we do it is because we're carried. We're afraid of what somebody's going to think of us. You know, if somebody was holding a gun to your head and going to pull a trigger, I can understand why somebody might be squeamish. But just because somebody's not going to like me because I don't want to do something I don't want to do, and they're going to not like me for that, I don't think I need that person for a friend. You know, there's a good description of friends if you want to spend an extra hour tonight, what friends do, what friends are good for, but it's certainly not trying to get us to do something that's bad for us. Who cares what they think? 
They need to be concerned about what we think about them. Jesus just said no, and that's what Moses did. Moses was a successful man. One of the reasons, no doubt, he had enough backbone to say no. He, he, he refused something. Now, we ought to understand uh, Moses, uh, the, the meaning of the text here is not that Moses would have nothing to do with Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, she was his mama for all practical purposes. Uh, she raised him. She was the one that cared for him when he was sick. Uh, she loved him, and more than likely, I would suppose he loved her, just like a mother. Uh, she was good to him. She treated him well. She was kind to him. She claimed him as her son with all the trimmings that go with that. Uh, I don't think this means that Moses was cutting off uh, Pharaoh's daughter, but he was cutting off the position he held as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, that came with a, a lot of pomp and ceremony, and he refused uh, to partake of any of that. He turned his back on that, and uh, I think that's the meaning of it. So don't think he's talking about uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, they probably continued to love one another as long as both lived. Number two, Moses chose. He chose, rather, to share ill treatment with the people of God. I'm reading from the American Standard Version. Uh, this is the version I prefer over all of them. Uh, and I, I used it on this occasion. I don't normally do that. But I did use it on this occasion because the language is so much better. Uh, it usually is better in the ASV. But on this text, it's, it's glaringly better. And that's the reason I wanted to use it. So the wording may look a little different to you. He chose rather to share ill treatment with the people of God. He had a, he had a, a choice. He was the prince of Egypt, uh, which means uh, he was a, a very wealthy man. He could be, may have been, a very powerful man. Uh, he, had the, he had the title. He had the authority. He had the respect. Uh, he could be pulled around the chariot by people running all around him. Uh, he was the man, so to speak. And then there was uh, the uh, Israelites. They were, uh, they were Hebrew, which was a bad word in Egypt. Uh, they, were, they were slaves. Uh, they were treated like slaves. They, uh, they were beaten to the ground by the Egyptians because the Egyptians had a, a, a lot of disdain for the Hebrew people. He's got, a, he's got a choice now. On the one hand, he's the prince of Egypt. On the other hand, he can be a lowly slave. You know, he, he can go out and he can work in the fields every day. He can come in at dusk. Or he can party hardy with the boys at Las Vegas. He could go either way he wanted to go. And in Moses' case, uh, he, he chose to align himself with Hebrews. Now, imagine you were one of his contemporaries. What would you have thought about the choice Moses made? He's giving up any, everything to, to be around those Hebrew people. His friends were probably blown away by his decision. Why would an otherwise intelligent man make such a silly choice? But nevertheless, Moses made that choice. In spite of what his friends would have said, Moses was much a man. 
he was driven by his own convictions, not by what everybody else around him thought he should do, he should say. He was his own man, so to speak. In Exodus 2 and 11, uh, Moses wrote, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens when, uh, when he was grown. Well, Stephen tells us in Acts 7.23 that he was 40 years old. So he was pretty grown by our calculation. Uh, but when he reached the age of 40, he'd been living a, a very good life of luxury uh, as the prince of Egypt. He knew who he was. He knew he had Hebrew blood running through his veins. Uh, he knew that these were his people. But uh, he had been living the life of an Egyptian. And curiosity, I suppose, uh, drove him to go out and see how these people were faring. What was life like for his Hebrew brethren? He went out and he seen the burdens uh, that they were suffering and it, uh, it grieved his soul uh, very much. And he, he didn't want them to have to suffer that way. So he made a choice. He, choice. he chose to be one of their numbers. Next we got Moses discerned. The verbiage is accounting the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That word accounting means to reflect, to weigh the options before making a choice. He thought about it. On the one hand, there was uh, the prince of Egypt. On the other hand, uh, he could give it all up and uh, live as a slave among slaves. And he gave it a, a great deal of thought before he, uh, he made his decision. He, he wasn't a, a knee-jerk reaction type of person. He was somebody who, uh, he deliberated the matter and came to a conclusion that was satisfying to the man Moses. And he decided that that's what he ought to do. Jesus uh, taught in Acts 14 and 28 uh, the necessity of counting the cost uh, before we do something. Uh, we, sh we should consider what's involved in uh, whatever it is we're thinking about doing. Uh, in, in the context of where he's speaking, he's talking about giving, giving some serious thought uh, as to whether you ought to be a, a follower of his or not. He, he, t he talked about a man who, who doesn't think about how much it's going to cost to build his tower. And he just, uh, he wants a tower, he starts to build his tower, he gets partially done, and he runs out of money, and he has to stop, and all of his neighbors start laughing at him. What a crazy guy. He started to build a tower, and he hasn't got enough money to finish it. Well, what about the king who goes out to make war against another king? And he doesn't stop to consider how many soldiers he's got, uh, how many uh, weapons he's got to do battle with. And he, he comes to find out he's only got a fraction of what the ar other army's got. And then he has to sue for peace. Uh, he has to give up something to get the other king to uh, leave him alone. And, of course, he, he looks pretty silly in the eyes of the world. And then he says the same thing is true uh, about being a follower of me. Before you decide you want to be a Christian, think about it. Uh, 
count the cost. There is a cost. You have to put me before everything. Are you really willing to do that? You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Are you willing to do that is Jesus' question. Think about it. Don't just jump into this thing. Give it some thought. Is that really what you want to do? And it's something we have to think about as uh, evangelists, for example. Uh, we're always wanting to help people uh, come to Christ. And sometimes in our eagerness to make a convert, uh, we make it seem like what it's not. You know, I remember the day I became a Christian, all my problems just went away. Well, you all, we all know that's not the case. The, the, the fact of the matter is, when I became a Christian, my, my problems multiplied. They didn't diminish. They increased because now I had to battle the Satan and the world. I never ever fight that battle before, and I got to fight that battle now. Batted insult to injury by becoming a Christian. It's a more difficult life. And that's what Jesus was telling these people. It's a much more difficult life to follow me than what you're experiencing right now. A sinner's life is a difficult life. But don't think by becoming a Christian you're going to get out of the difficulties. You're just going to have a new kind of difficulty, that's all. It doesn't change. Uh, he, he, he wants people to be his disciples. But he only wants people to come to him if they've given it enough thought. They know what's involved and they still decide that that's what they want to do. Those are the people we really want to encourage to become children of God. People who aren't ready. We don't want to discourage them by any stretch of the imagination, but we do want to let them know what's at stake, what they have to do. In his case, Jesus said, you're going to have to deny yourself and follow me. Are you really ready to do that? And, of course, when they gave it some thought, they, they hadn't thought that far down the road. But Moses, uh, he was a discerner. He didn't just uh, see his brethren being mistreated and decided, I'm going to become one of them. Uh, he wasn't a flippant person. Uh, he gave it thought, you know, what's at stake? Uh, no longer being uh, the prince of Egypt. Can you imagine how hard that was? Moses, given his... King Tut, when they found King Tut, his uh, organs were in a, a little box they made out of gold. They, they, they bury them with their gold, all their riches. Sometimes they bury them with people. They even bury them with their servants and their wives. Uh, <clears throat> it depends on what they request in their, uh, in their tomb. But... Uh, Tut, when they dug him up, they found him in this little box that contained his organs made out of gold. Uh, and at the time that they, they dug him up, uh, that little box was worth a quarter of a million dollars in gold. And that was just a small part of the gold that was buried with that guy. He was 18-year-old king. Uh, he was insignificant. Uh, he never did anything. But even he, as insignificant as he was during the waning days of the Egyptian Empire, 
Even he was a very wealthy man. Moses is 40 years old. Can you imagine how much gold he has? How many servants he had? How many chariots he owned? He was a very, very well-off fella. He had a life of luxury. He had it made, as we would say, from a worldly perspective. To go out there and become a slave. Living among slaves. In those stinky little huts they live in. Never getting to take a bath very often. Eating terrible, terrible food. Leaving this world to go to that world. People say, well, I would do that in a minute. <laughs> Moses discerned. He thought about it honestly. Would he be willing to give up one for the other? And he came to the conclusion that he would. He was willing to make that decision. Why? <clears throat> he accounted the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses contemplated the reproach that one day would be heaped upon the coming Messiah. Uh, I read a commentary the other day by a, a man who said this can't be true because Moses knew nothing about the coming Messiah. You know, one thing that you want to be careful of is, is claiming to know something that's not written. We, uh, we know the materials that uh, the Israelites uh, had uh, because we have those materials today. But the question is, how many other letters and books did they have at their disposal? And how many of those letters and books were inspired of God? How many letters did Isaiah the prophet write? Did he just write the one, the book of 66 chapters? Is that all he wrote? Or could he have wrote, written other books? Well, he could have written other books. What about Moses? We got five books Moses wrote. Could Moses have written 10 books, 15 books, 20 books? Truth is, we don't know. Well, if we don't know the material that was produced for the sake of the Israelites, how can we say that they didn't know anything about the Messiah? Did Moses know uh, what Isaiah one day would reveal? I don't know. Maybe he did. How much did the Lord tell him about the coming Christ? Moses knew enough that he said that one day the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me. And whatever he says, you need to hear him. It's not going to be me anymore. Now it's going to be him. What did M Moses know about the Messiah? I don't know. And that commentator didn't know either. Uh, he supposed he had no knowledge of Messiahs. Now, given what Paul wrote here, I would assume that he knew what the reproach of Christ was. Because Paul said he did. Moses considered the reproach of Christ to be a greater riches than his riches that he had in Egypt. So he must have known about the Christ. 
He knew about the sufferings of the Christ. He knew about the riches that were of Christ. All this was made available to Moses. And uh, I'm sure he knew more than I know that he knows at that time. The word reproach uh, comes from a Greek word, onadismus. It means, uh, literally, it means a defamation. Uh, it's used five times in the New Testament. Three times it appears here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, one, of course, is in our text, chapter 11, verse 26. But we read it again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 33, speaking about the hardships that the Jewish people suffered uh, because they were Jews and because they were cantankerous. Uh, they, they suffered much. They had reproaches heaped on them. And then we read it again in chapter 13, verse 13, about the reproaches that were heaped upon Christ. Uh, he, he would suffer. Moses knew that the sufferings of Christ were going to be his sufferings. He knew that his ministry was going to be similar to the ministry of Christ. The Lord's ministry was a very tough ministry. We think about, we think about Jesus being crucified, and rightly so. It was a terrible, painful experience. But his whole life was a terrible, painful experience. I should say the time of his ministry was. He, he, was, he, was, he was constantly, people were trying to entrap him. They were trying to look for a way to uh, put him in jail. Then ultimately they'd look for a way to kill him. Every time he opened his mouth, somebody was trying to call him on it. He was constantly having to defend himself and his disciples. He watched people that he spoke to, he pleaded with, he begged. He watched these people turn their back on God and walk away. His whole ministry was a period of suffering and agony. Moses knew that was going to be his calling also. He knew that he was going to share in the reproach of the Christ. He thought about it. He gave it a lot of thought. He knew what was coming, and he still chose to be a part of God's people. Then we read about his vision. i got to speed it up. Uh, verse 26, for he looked under the recompense of reward. Looked means he saw the recompense of reward. Uh, the word uh, looked means it comes from two roots. The first one is from apo, which means away from. The second is bapo, which means to look, to look away. That's what the word looked means in the original. The, the meaning, therefore, to look away from all else, to fix one's attention upon another object. It would be like you and I looking away from the world and fixing our mind on Christ. That's what Moses did. He looked away from Egypt and he fixed his mind on the recompense of the reward of Messiah. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, speaking again about Moses, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Wait a minute. That's Abraham. I put the wrong verse in. Anyway, Abraham did the same thing. He dwelt in the land of promise with his boys, the heirs with him of the same promise. 
Why, why did he live that nomad style of life? Because he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He looked away from his wealth. He fixed his eyes on the city of God. Over and again, we're taught in Scripture to look up. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Forget about that stuff. Why moth, rust destroys where thieves break in and steal. Rather, turn your back on the treasures of the earth and look and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where thieves do not break in and steal. Invest in heaven. Do not invest in the earth. It's temporary. You're going to give it up. You can't take it with you. Invest in something that's lasting, and that, of course, would be in heaven itself. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul said, If then you were raised with the Christ, seek those things which are above. Fix your eyes on the things that are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Look into the heavens and see what the recompense of reward is. Look to where you're going rather than where you are. This is short-lived. That is eternal. And then there's Moses' resolution. By faith, he forsook Egypt. He did all this discerning. He thought about everything that was at stake. And then he resolved in his heart that to join himself with the people of God was the right decision. It's like that song we sing, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have a Lord in my sight. I will hasten, hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. This is what Moses did. He resolved in his heart. We'll make new New Year revolutions, resolutions. <laughs> we'll make New Year resolutions in a couple of weeks and uh, probably break most of them because we're not too serious about it. But are we resolved to follow Christ? Have we resolved in our heart that this is what we're going to do? Are we doing what we're doing because this is what we're supposed to do? Or have we honestly, sincerely, truly resolved that I'm going to walk with Jesus, come what may? Then finally, Moses endured. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word endured means steadfastness. He kept on keeping on. Moses uh, transgressed like we all do from time to time, but he got up. He asked God for forgiveness, and he pushed forward. He was like all of us, no more, no less. But every time he sinned against God, he got back up. He repented, he prayed, and he walked with God again. He kept on keeping on. Knocking down, getting up. Knocking down, getting up. He had resolved to walk with the Lord, and he was enduring in that, uh, in that feat. He intended to be uh, a winner. Few of us think of the shortcomings of Moses. Uh, the Lord 
it's interesting in chapter 11 here, the Lord doesn't mention his shortcomings. He mentions good things about Moses. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, verse 28. In verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. The Lord talks about his uh, accomplishments, but he, he doesn't bring up his shortcomings, his failures, his sin. When, when Moses was forgiven of his sins along the way of life, the Lord put those things away. He's not dragging all that stuff up here in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. He's bringing up the positive things Moses did. Yeah, Moses failed. That doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there. That's forgiven. All that matters now is the man Moses and what he tried to do. He endured. He overcame. He was successful. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is how close Moses was to the Lord. He could see God. Now we know that no one has seen God at any time. So he didn't see God like one, like I can see Rita. He didn't see God that way, but he saw God. The word see also means to perceive, to perceive, to know, to understand to be able to uh, consider a person's uh, characteristics. I'm out of time. I can't answer no questions because I'm out of time again. Well, I got to learn to talk faster.